some of the information mentioned in this episode has been affected by the current coronavirus situation. Check the websites referenced in this episode for the most current listing of the events, activities, or dates that are most current and relevant. You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Once again, welcome to this episode of Neighbors and Nations. I'm Todd Stiles, and I'm really glad you've joined today to hear my interview with Ronnie Floyd. And what a humble privilege it was to be able to interview Dr. Floyd and uh, kind of pick his brain and hear his insight. He's got over 30 years as a pastor. He's currently the president and CEO of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, His longest tenure, though, has been at a church in Arkansas where he saw it grow to thousands Um, saw evangelism both locally and uh, globally as a priority Uh, and his heartbeat is just to see every person in every city, town, state, nation come to Christ and so uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my opportunity to interview Ronnie and I'm excited that you'll be able to hear it today so let's jump right in shall we here's my conversation with Dr. Ronnie Floyd Well, what an honor today to have Dr. Ronnie Floyd with us on the podcast. Ronnie, welcome to Neighbors and Nations. Glad you joined us today. Hey, thanks, Todd. Always great to be with you. Really appreciate this time. And as you know, our, our podcast is focused on Neighbors and Nations. And I think in your new role there with the Executive Committee, um, what I keep hearing and seeing is just a continued heart to mirror God's heart for reaching out to both Neighbors and Nations. Uh, how's it going there in your new role? Are you adjusting to Nashville? Uh I see some new things coming out a lot, and I'm so thankful. How are you doing? Well, thank you, Todd, for for asking. Um, My wife uh, reminded me this morning. She said, do you realize it was one year ago today uh, when we taped this podcast um, that that we interviewed formally with the committee? We had already done some things on the phone and a lot of other stuff, uh, obviously, and uh, uh, some interviews uh, via computer and all. But through it, you know, it's been a journey. I mean, everything is new in our lives. Um, and so every day is a mystery. And then, of course, Southern Baptist life is quite mysterious at times. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just a local church pastor. You know, I'm trying to be faithful to the task. And so that's, my, that's been my commitment. And I also uh, deeply believe that there is such a need for the Southern Baptist Convention to do everything we can to encourage our churches that it's really all about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Amen. You know, we, we believe deeply, Todd, that uh, I believe it is that is that we must have vision that is so big that we believe uh, that God wants us to reach every person in every town, every city, every state, and every nation. And if we believe in that deeply, then, you know, and we can really forward that vision strongly and clearly uh, in a compelling way that we can really call people up to always the great commission of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what my heart is. Whatever I do here with the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, I will lead 
a, like a pastor. I, I'm a pastor at heart. Uh, at the same time, that's not my role here, but I can't dismiss who I am in order to do this. Yeah, uh, I, I, God knew all that. As a part of the executive committee, I, I hear that from you. I see it and thank you for just leading us towards, as you said, leading us up to the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, my heart resonates with you from one pastor to another. Tell me something. When you were pastoring over three decades, like what are key elements in moving the needle uh, of missions in a congregation so that they are thinking neighbors and nations constantly? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I think it really comes back to intentionality. Uh, I think every pastor has to decide what his priority is going to be. And he can't negotiate that. Uh, The moment he starts negotiating the priority, then reaching your neighbors and reaching uh, the nations will not be on the agenda. Because you know, and I know that any pastor in America today, for him to have that that um, that passion, then he's got to really do everything he can to be intentional on that and to keep, as the old statement would be, uh, to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's just really important that we do that. So I think priority, I think about intentionality. I think we have to always celebrate the wins when we see the wins, mm. whether it's a person being reached for Christ, the story of his or her life, and what God did to the celebration of baptism, which never needs to be minimized in a local church uh, because it's an image of what we believe is is important in relationship to the Great Commission. Once we meet Christ, we follow Christ in baptism, tell the world what we believe in, and we began the journey of, of, of learning what Jesus wants us to learn so we can go out and make a difference uh, in someone else's life. So to me, you've got to do that. And, and, and really, I, I just can't underemphasize the importance of the pastor being tenacious hmm. and intentional. That's good to hear. Uh, and I know I said intentional earlier, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, I want to be intentional about saying intentional because you've got to rise up and determine I'm going to do that. Even in my role here, Pastor Todd, I mean, listen, I could chase a hundred different things out here in Southern Baptist life. There's plenty of them. That's true. But I'm telling you, I am very tenacious about keeping our team and as much as I can be keeping the Southern Baptist Commission on task. So sometimes it's more about knowing what you're not going to do. I hear you say. Absolutely. So that you can do your priorities. I love what you said about not negotiating the priorities. Mm. That's very helpful. In your opinion, in your experience, do you think that one is a catalyst for the other, like neighbors and nations? I know it's a both and, but have you found that maybe one does help feed the other better or not? What's your thoughts on that? I think it's all on the individual, the individual's church, quite honestly. Um, You know, the old story is that if you, you know, if you take people on a mission trip and all of a sudden they start reaching people across the across the world and the nations, then they will come and be more intentional in the neighbors uh, around them. I believe it's a both and. I I really do. I think the pastor has got to keep the big picture because people are at different stages of life. Mm. You know, I I built my ministry at Cross Church for 32 years and seven months, really on the heartbeat of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
and the heartbeat of Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Because I think Acts 1-8 tells us not only what to do, but Acts 1-8 tells us how to get it done. And it, and it talks about the regional. It talks about uh, beyond the regional to what we would classify today, uh, a state, perhaps. And then um, into, into the country itself and then across the world. All of that, to me, goes together. I think anytime someone, quite honestly, does anything to influence a neighbor or someone across the world to come to the gospel, I think that motivates them to do it again. Mm. And that's why I'm so big, Todd, on pastors telling the story of, of what our partnership does around the world together. Yeah, that's because true. Because when they tell that story, man, it just helps people sit up and say, man, this is incredible. I mean, this is great. And even though you, you may not see that person come to Christ on that Sunday that you tell that, you're building vision and people to believe God and that God wants to use this to really uh, encourage their faith. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you said, celebrating the wins. Absolutely. There's another way to do that. You're right. Yeah. And one small win leads to another win. Mm. And, 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 you know, I think that's what we have to do is we have to, and, mo- and many pastors struggle at this because um, they might have a critic out there that says, well, you're boasting about what happens. Well, no, you know, you're not, you know, you're going to always have critics. Uh, and so, you know, you learn from your critics, but beyond that, you know, you have to go forward. And so with that, you really encourage your church when you tell people what God is doing. Um, whatever the Lord did this week in and through the church that you serve in, in any, in any capacity, from a gospel conversation to an open door feeding the hungry or to whatever it is, when you tell that to your church, they're going to start seeing the church in a different heart and a different mm. light. That's really good to hear. That's really solid shoe leather help. I think one of the most intriguing things about your ministry at Cross Church was that, if I'm not mistaken, you had like 400 business leaders that you worked with. And I think that's intriguing because most pastors aren't good businessmen, Mm -hmm. but God gave you an incredible opportunity with Mm. businessmen. I know we talked personally about this earlier, but can you kind of expand on that again? How did that happen? And how did that play into your own church's desire to see its neighbors come to Christ, its own community? Well, thanks for the question, Todd. In 2001, we became a multi-campus church. We started uh, a campus uh, that was north of us, um, and we the church was exploding. The, the main campus was exploding. But we just learned the demographics of where we were going and, and just felt like God was calling us to do it. We, looking back historically, unknowing to us at the time, but we were probably in the first 200 churches in America that became truly multi, multi-campus, multi-site churches. Um, and the thing exploded. We went and, and exploded. And part of our strategy was, is that I have to tell this story because you, they've got to get the picture of why, why sure. that was so successful. But in Northwest Arkansas, you have three major big honking corporations. Okay. <laughs> okay. You have Tyson Foods, the largest beef and poultry producer in the world. That's right down the street from my Springdale campus. Okay. Mm. And then you have JB Hunt Transport, which is the largest trucking firm 
intermodal firm uh, of its kind uh, in America. Um, and so that was five minutes uh, from our Pinnacle Hills campus, which happened to be uh, our, our first campus that we had apart from our Springdale campus. And then seven or eight minutes up the road from our Pinnacle Hills campus was Walmart. Well, Walmart had 12, at that time, 12 to 1400. Now it's 14 to 1600 companies that moved, uh, had presence in Northwest Arkansas to service the Walmart accounts. Wow. So you had all these leaders, many of them junior leaders, vice leaders, vice presidential leaders. And if they did Walmart account well, they might be shipped back to the home office. And who knows, they might become CEO of their company. Okay. You're not talking uh, you 1,400 know. people. You mean yeah. 1,400 companies. Yeah. Those representations, for example, may have been at Walmart, let's say five people might be taking care of their account, whether it be, let's say, a Disney account, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, while Kraft Food would have 400. Okay. Uh, by Procter & Gamble, they would have several hundred because it's outside of Cincinnati. Fayetteville, Arkansas has the largest presence of Procter & Gamble in the country. And so so with that, that's telling our people more than what, what, what they bargained for, but they have to understand <laughs> the setting. And so when I went north, I had a strategy. And the strategy was we were going to do Thursday luncheons about 24, 26 weeks a year. And I was going to teach them uh, leadership and okay. not teach the Bible, but, but just talk about leadership principles, uh, those kind of things and use it as a front door of the church. I see. Okay, so, good. And so we had several, we had obviously great presence and then, and that was very successful. Then I was, I was doing, a coach's Bible study for the University of Arkansas football staff at that time, preaching on Sunday, doing multi-campus work, preaching Sunday night, going around the country. I, I couldn't do it all. So I, I finally said, okay, I'm going to be the head of what we call the Northwest Arkansas Business Person Summit. And uh, I'll speak some, but I'm not, I'm not going to carry it every week. But we started bringing in national leaders. So, you know, we had summit crowds of 300 and then summit crowds all the way up to 800 plus. And so, you know, we were all in that journey all those years. Okay. And, uh, and God used it greatly. I mean, when we started that, we had maybe 75% of the people who were not members of our church, Todd. But today, many of those people have now become members of the fellowship that I serve. But still, the vast majority of them on Thursday are going to be unchurched people or that might just be a connecting point of them. And then other people, you know, that we bring in, you know, they, they would expect me to talk about God when I, when sure. I talk. Okay. But at the same time, that's why I didn't, but I let others do it. And then I would come underneath that and I would interview people many of those weeks. And so God used it in a great way. So yes, you know, the Lord, um, it started in 2001. They're still doing it today. Wow. I mean, think about that. Uh, that's a long time. That's mm -hmm. 19 20 years. years. Yeah. yeah, almost 20 years that this has happened uh, this coming fall. Well, I love hearing that story because it says to me a church knew its context, knew its immediate Acts 1-8 mission field, as you said earlier. Yeah. And said, let's engage it. And I think typically, man, when you are willing to engage your immediate context, God will enlarge your heart and give you platforms outside of that. And I just love that story. 
especially because yeah. it speaks so well to something pastors don't typically do. We are usually afraid of business leaders. Yeah, yeah, and that should not that that's a shame because it is. because when you look at it, <clears throat> business people are where the real action is. Hmm. We're not in their action. You know, we're not in the real action. We're we're preachers. I mean, we're pastors of churches. Yeah, we're in we're in warfare all the time and we're in all kind of stuff and we have to lead, but I mean Hey, those men and women have opportunities in the business world none of us would ever have with a, with an unchurched crowd, with people that are going to watch them every day how they live. That's why pastors need to always try their very best to get to know people that are out here in the business community. Amen. And God will use it in a great way. Yeah, and I think that's one of the ways that um, well, you've probably seen this, but how God would save someone and who knows how we'd use that person then to further missions somewhere else, either Absolutely. through finances or even through relationships, investments. Talk to us a little bit about this. What seems to be the biggest hindrance right now, in your opinion, in the church to a greater commitment to God's heart for the nations? What's holding mm-hmm. us back? What do you think is a hurdle that we just can't seem to get over right now? And maybe I may, I probably mean the American church. Right. Mm-hmm. I would say I would say there would be uh, two things rather than one. One would be one A, and the other would be one B. One A is is the American church doesn't understand any longer the depth of what it means to be lost. Hmm. For whatever reason, maybe maybe pastors don't preach on heaven and hell enough. Maybe they don't proclaim the gospel as faithfully. Maybe as a generation did before, but I mean, we need to not ever forget that every person will one day give an account of their life to God. And that's true. And the necessity of, of us preaching to them is upon us. And so when we lose or forget or try to even negotiate in our minds well, you know, that person may or may not be a Christian. Either we believe what the Bible says or we don't. Mm. I think that lostness has to, we've got to really grasp an understanding of lostness. And then I see, I think the second thing, and I would call it 1B, right alongside of that pretty well, is the, is the sin of unbelief. The sin of our own unbelief, that the gospel has the power to change people's lives. That, that Jesus died for every person mm. and his heart is for every person to know him. And I think that many times we just don't remember that and we don't have uh, the faith that we ought to have in the power of the gospel. I'm telling you, when you get up and you preach on the power of the gospel and you have great faith in that, it's much more likely people are going to come to Christ on that day when they see a pastor who acts like he really believes this stuff. Well, Romans 1 16 is true. It's the, that's the power unto salvation. And absolutely. And Todd, you know, they can't, they can't argue with your testimony mm. and pastors need to always share their testimony. Don't ever hesitate about that. You say, well, my people have heard it. Let them hear it again. Yeah, and there's always new folks out there. Absolutely. You know, who are you preaching to? Who are you trying to reach? I think we have to have greater call to God. Uh, come to Christ, however you want to come to Christ. You know, I'm 
you know, some pastors won't give what we would call a public invitation, but, you know, go, go to this area back here and, you know, and, and we have people that are ready to talk to you about your faith or here. I have people standing up here and we want you to come as soon as we dismiss the service. We'd love to talk to you about your faith. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Whatever. Just be intentional. There's just, that word again. Yeah. I mean, just be intentional. Give right. God an opportunity. He's got the power to touch them and to change them. Well, before we wrap up, Ronnie, tell me, were you saved as a young kid? Were you saved older? What's your testimony? Well, my my uh, I came to Christ really when I was a teenager. Okay. Uh, it was about my mid-teenage years. Uh, I was raised in the church, uh, but really became convinced um, when when I was a sophomore that I needed Christ in my life. It was on a Saturday night. Quite honestly, a prayer service on a Saturday night with us. Uh, I grew up in a very small church, hmm. running 30 to 40 on Sunday. And we had a teenage prayer service on a Saturday night. God was wow. working in the teenage group. I mean, I knew that. There were big things happening. It was on the back end of the, what we would call historically today, the Jesus movement. Okay. All right. And so while we didn't know that's what it was, when you look back historically, I mean, there was just, there was just even churches like ours that was small, uh, led by a bivocational pastor, by the way. I've only, I only had a bivocational pastor my entire life growing up. Really? Because of the size of the church. And so I didn't know that's what we called them, but all I knew is that guy taught somewhere or he <laughs> was, you know, a painter somewhere. And on Sunday she came and preached. I didn't know any better. And so, uh, but, but that's what I grew up with, but there was such a movement. And that night I became so convicted that I knew I needed Christ. Wow. And I gave my life to Christ, was baptized the next day. Six months later, I was called to the ministry, and uh, here I am. That's a great story. And, boy, what God can do in a in – a, and the, the vast majority of SBC churches are probably small. Absolutely. And so it's amazing what God can do in those environments. And I want to encourage our listeners who are pastors, don't underestimate or minimize small beginnings. No, God's right. doing something. All Absolutely. And you know, Todd, I tell pastors all the time, man, you know, if that pastor had not been intentional on calling me to Christ and that Amen. pastor had not been intentional about extending the call and every now and then saying at the end of his message, there may be some of you today here who believe God is calling you into full-time Christian ministry, you know, but he was intentional. Yeah. And that one little thing there, God used in my life and really brought me uh, not only to the Lord, but into considering, oh boy, wow, you know, all my life I wanted to be a football coach. Uh, that was my dream. And now I'm preaching uh, and pastoring and now leading leaders and, mm -hmm. you know, in this role. So I'm very grateful. God has been so good to me. Amen. Well, here's an intentional question for you as we close. Uh, see if you can give this to me in one sentence. I'll challenge you with this, all right? In one sure. sentence, what would you love to see God do before you die? I would love to see God bring the next great spiritual awakening to the United States that would alter the history of our nation, just like past spiritual awakenings contributed to where we are even today. Well, I will join you in that prayer, Ronnie. That's a great answer, man. Thank I, you. Man, that's super. Hey, thanks for your time. I know it's limited, but boy, I sure appreciate your willingness to just talk with us about neighbors and nations and bring such wisdom 
experience and knowledge. And uh, man, thanks for your love for Jesus and your heart for lost people. Well, thank you, Todd. And listen, I'll come on anytime you need me, friend. All right. Very kind. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.